It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Andy. You've got a little addendum to the show. We talk a bunch about the Michigan sign-stealing accusations during the show, but news never stops. Once the show had already been put out, more news came out about Connor Stallions, the now-suspended Michigan staffer, buying tickets to games involving Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, and Clemson during the 2022 season. So we're going to talk about that, too. So we're going to talk about that a little bit, and then we'll get into the show. More schools have confirmed that Connor Stallions bought tickets to games there. Who is Connor Stallions? That is the now suspended Michigan staffer who was accused of running a sign-stealing operation where he bought tickets to games, sent people to those games to video the sideline, or somehow steal the signals that the teams were signaling in so that when Michigan played those teams, Michigan would have the offensive and defensive signals coming in from the sidelines, would know what they were and could decipher them. These are accusations right now, but it keeps getting deeper and deeper. On Tuesday night, Larry Williams of Tiger Illustrated reported that Stallions bought a ticket to a Clemson game. Ross Dellinger of Yahoo reported that he got tickets to games involving Alabama, Tennessee, and Georgia. Pete Thamel of ESPN reported that there is a 12th Big Ten school that has now confirmed that he bought tickets there. So that's 12 out of the 13 that aren't Michigan. It just keeps going and going and going. And the Michigan folks, of course, they're saying he went rogue. They're saying that the coaching staff had no knowledge of this. And it's interesting because we we make fun of message board guys sometimes, but message board guys sometimes, here's some things. Look at this post on three's VolQuest, the Tennessee site for on three. This comes from 2022, December 1st, 2022. So remember, Tennessee was a, a college football playoff contender up until the loss, well, the, the loss to Georgia, but really the loss to South Carolina was what, what ended that. But a VolQuest poster named Arnie Palmy Alert said, oh, do I have a story on that? One of my little brother's quote-unquote friends is a quote-unquote scout for them, referring to Michigan. They paid for him to travel to the UT Vandy game, had planned on it before the loss, obviously, to try to steal our signs. He's from Nashville originally, so he just went anyway even after our loss, since it was Thanksgiving, says he and the others are never allowed to talk to Harbaugh directly about it. Now, here's a January post from that same poster. No clue if related, but I posted on here a couple of months ago about a mutual friend of mine that was working for Michigan, going to other schools' games, stealing plays. They'd pay his flights, lodging, food, and seats right behind that team's bench for him to get video, notes, etc. Michigan is pulling out all the stops, it seems. <laughs> I'm telling you, sometimes message board guy has it down cold. Scoop the world on this one. 
This just keeps going and going and going. What does it all mean? I'm not sure we're going to have an answer to that. As we keep saying, the NCAA does not move quickly on these things, and there's not really a mechanism to do any sort of punishment in season. So if it was found that Michigan was doing this in season, this season, I don't know that that means the NCAA or the Big Ten can do anything about it. You know, If you're Michigan, you're going to lawyer up to make sure that you can finish out this season and you can play in this postseason. I'm just not sure there's any, any way that the NCAA or the Big Ten can issue any discipline. Remember, that the last time the NCAA went outside its normal disciplinary process to punish a school was Penn State after all the Jerry Sandusky stuff. The NCAA ended up getting taken to court and ended up having to walk those sanctions back. So I don't think you're going to see that. And there is a level of frustration when you talk to people from these schools because there's not much right now that can be done. But I'm just fascinated by this whole thing. I want to know how it all worked. I want a movie made about it. This is just incredible. Even Kirby Smart got asked about it. Because remember, Georgia played Michigan in the Orange Bowl following the 2021 season. I guess the necessary follow-up. That's obviously coming about Michigan. You played Michigan. You aware in retrospect or at the time of anything unusual? No, I didn't I didn't notice anything or know anything. Nobody we talked to, you know, warned us or any of that. I mean, I think everybody we play, they say, they steal your signals. I mean, we play somebody, they always like, they're, they're great at stealing your signals. But uh, what they're referencing is different than stealing them. I mean, they're, they're coming in, you know, they're talking about people coming to film them. That's completely different. But we've tried to, you know, hide the signals, hold the calls, put signs up, do all that. But I, I don't, I, I was nothing I remember about the Michigan game. It makes me think that. First of all, that last line was completely savage because he's referencing that they beat Michigan 34 to 11 in that game and it was never close. So if Michigan had signs, it didn't help. But what Kirby is saying is similar to what other coaches around the country are saying. And so for, for all of you who are saying everybody does this, no, everybody does try to steal signs when they are in game and they're watching the other team's signals. They are trying to decipher what's going on. They've probably got somebody in the press box with binoculars watching the sideline, trying to decipher what's going on. They're probably watching when they when they get the coaches' film to see if there's anything that shows up that they can take. That's every school doing that. And that is not against the rules. Sending someone to a game that is not your own, and especially having someone videotape that, that is a different story. Uh, Thamel from ESPN reported that the NCAA has an hour of video showing someone sitting in a seat bought by Connor Stallions videoing the sideline of one of the teams. That's not within the rules. So that's the, the situation. The most interesting thing about this, we've yet to find out whether anybody got to a TCU game last year. In case you have forgotten, TCU beat Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl 51-45. to 45. Maybe they didn't make it there. Welcome to Andy Staples on 3. Big show for you tonight. We go deep into the world's largest outdoor cocktail party in lovely Jacksonville, Florida. 
Georgia center Cedric Van Pran is our very special guest. He is one of the best interviews in college football, one of the best centers in college football, maybe the number one interior offensive lineman in the NFL draft next year. He is a big dude, and he is a big deal. We'll be talking to him. We'll also be talking to Nick Del Torre of Gators Online about the Florida side of things in that rivalry matchup. And then, of course, we're going to talk some Texas because they've got a quarterback situation. Bobby Burton from Inside Texas will join us. No Quinn Ewers for a few weeks. What happens with Malik Murphy and with Arch Manning going forward? We're also going to talk a ton about the Michigan thing. Of course, we're going to talk about the Michigan thing. Ralph Russo from the Associated Press will join us for a deep dive into the whole situation at Michigan. We need to have a little more nuanced conversation about it anyway. It's one of those deals. Everybody's yelling at each other online about it. There's a lot going on there and even more stuff coming out day by day by day. On when, on Tuesday, you had screenshots of Connor Stallion's Venmo account. By the way, kitties, make your Venmo accounts private. Nobody needs to see what you're paying for. But he was apparently paying a, a Michigan recruiting analyst something the day before the Peach Bowl with the uh, with the description GA as in Georgia. Could have been GA as in graduate assistant. Who knows? But obviously. Internet detectives are on the case. And you also had video released by a Columbus TV station. Now remember that the TV stations get to film video on the sidelines and use limited highlights from the games with that they've shot themselves, not necessarily the TV broadcast copy. And so this was video from the first drive of last year's Michigan-Ohio State game. And it shows C.J. Stroud doing a check with me. So he comes to the line of scrimmage. He looks over the defense. He stops for a second. He looks to the sideline. All the Ohio State players look to the sideline. They receive a signal. Just the way the camera is set up, you can see past C.J. Stroud and onto the Michigan sideline. Well, you can see Connor Stallion standing next to Michigan defensive coordinator Jesse Mentor, and everybody on the Michigan sideline turns to watch the signal being given. As soon as the signal is given, Connor Stallion says something to Jesse Mentor, and then all of a sudden – Many of the hands on the Michigan sideline go up to signal the defensive players on the field. This is very interesting. Does not prove anything in the science ceiling case, by the way. Because if you want to defend that, you say, well, he had just gotten that from watching the other sideline when we played last year or watching the other sideline or watching TV copies. That doesn't actually prove anything. What would prove wrongdoing in this case is what came out on Monday, the Pete Thamel ESPN story where he said there's potentially surveillance video of someone sitting in a seat purchased by Connor Stallions at a game involving future Michigan opponent where that person is videoing the sideline the entire time. That would be the kind of proof that you would need. But there's so much to this case, so much to unpack. What happens to Jim Harbaugh? You've got the head coach responsibility aspect of things, which the NCAA changed the rules a few years ago. Basically, you don't even have to prove anymore that the head coach knew. He just is responsible for everything in the organization, and you can stick him with everything. Also, what can be done and when? That's the big question is, could some disciplinary action come down this year? And I tend to believe it can't because the NCAA has a pretty slow process for discipline. 
So those are the factors that, that you've got to weigh. And, and Ralph Russo and I are going to go very deep into that a little bit later in the show because this case is absolutely fascinating. I know the Michigan fans don't want to hear it. They think there's a vendetta. They think the NCAA is out to get Jim Harbaugh. And maybe they are. But we're going to talk about it because it's very interesting. We haven't seen anything like this before. You know, back in the 80s, Florida was sending people out to, to spy on other teams' practices. Charlie Pell got fired over that. But I don't remember a, a case in major college football like this since then. And that was that was back when you could scout other teams' games in person, but you've always you've never been allowed to spy on other teams' practices. So this is a this is kind of uncharted territory. And there's a lot of interesting stuff and a lot of interesting facets of this case. So it is going to be something we're going to talk about quite a bit over the next few days, weeks, and months. I promise you that. Plus, it's just wild. Like whether Connor Stallions was acting alone, as Michigan will tell you he was, or as part of a bigger operation, I mean, I'm not sure which is more interesting. If he's acting alone, that's wild. So we'll see what happens, but we're definitely going to talk about it because there is so much meat on that bone. There's so much to discuss. One thing I definitely want to discuss in regards to this case, again, I know I mentioned it yesterday, but if you're going to buy tickets on both sidelines of a game because you want to videotape the opposing sideline. You should be using GameTime, our partners. Now, maybe you don't want to steal signals. Maybe you just want to go watch the game and you only need a ticket on one side of the field. You can still use GameTime. They have every ticket you could possibly want. Sporting events, comedy shows, concerts, you name it. So you want to see the world's largest outdoor cocktail party in Jacksonville. They got tickets for that. The get-in price as of Monday was under 100 bucks. Little tougher ticket in Salt Lake City at Rice Eccles Stadium for Oregon and Utah, but it's a much smaller venue. But they got tickets all around that stadium. And the beauty of, of game time, and look, again, if you are trying to steal signals, this would be important for you. You click the, the seat number, it brings up a photo of what it'll look like when you're actually in the stadium. You, there's no mystery to it. You don't have to go find a stadium map and figure it out. No, you see a picture of the field, and that is what it looks like from your seat. And then two more taps. The ticket is yours. If you want to transfer those tickets on game day via text, you can do it. So game time, download the app, use the code STAPLES, and you get $20 off your first purchase. So game time, easy download on that app. Find the game you want. Use the code STAPLES, 20 bucks off your first purchase. Let us talk about one of those games that a lot of people will want tickets to. In Jacksonville, Florida and Georgia, one of the great rivalries. Cedric Van Pran, the Georgia center, has been through a bunch of these. He's a New Orleans guy, though. This was a new thing to him when he got to Georgia. But, oh, he understands the rivalry very well now. Here's Cedric Van Pran. Here with Georgia center Cedric Van Pran. Happy birthday, by the I way. I appreciate it. So, okay. What do what does the rest of the offensive line do for you on your birthday? Are there any special privileges? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. It's a work day, um, so we'll be here watching film after practice. Same usual stuff. Is there now? Is the mom anybody do something for you or what? I uh, actually give a shout out to my mom. Um, it's actually my mom's birthday as well. Whoa! Uh, yeah, I was born on my mom's birthday, so. Um, you know, so I reached out to her today, told her happy birthday before she went to work. So that'd be fun growing up. 
N- not for her. Maybe no, for oh, me. Oh, she had to do all the work. That's right. Nah, she she kind of forgot about her birthday. No matter how much I told her that it's her birthday as well, she just wasn't going for it. So, going forward, hers becomes the biggest birthday. Absolutely. Right? That that's the way Absolutely. to do it. So, you've got a big game this week. You guys yes, play sir. in Florida. I always wonder. You're from Louisiana, so you didn't grow up, you know, in Georgia. Georgia fan. When you get to UGA. Do they tell you, okay, this is who we hate and how we hate them? Like, how, how does that work where you develop that, that sense of the rivalry? So I think that it's a, it's a few things. Like you said, you're, you're told about the rivalry and you're told about um, just the history of what's happened. But I think you have to take, uh, I guess, some ownership and, and finding out for yourself. So going back and watching some games and mm-hmm. finding out, you know, the, the tradition of what's happened. And then, to be honest, it, it grows even more when – you playing it when you're yeah. playing it for yourself and you know, you're kind of uh, seeing some of the competitive things that are happening on the field and um, it kind of grows for you as well. So I think that that's just the biggest thing It's understanding what's being presented to you from the people when you get here, mm-hmm. but also growing your own level of, um, I guess, disdain for. <laughs> so you, for now them. you have the proper level of disdain for the Gators. Yes, sir. <laughs> so w- a few weeks ago, we talked to some people, from Texas and Oklahoma who'd played in that game. And they talked about, you know, running into the cotton bowl and it's split 50, 50. I've talked to a lot of people who played in this game too. What's it like when you come over the bridge and you see that's st- and there's all the orange and blue and all the red and black. What, what, what's that like? So it's pretty cool. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing. I think it's pretty cool that it's that split. It, it's more of a, it's, it's, I can't even really describe what it's like because it's so different and so unique. Um, that you try to see uh, if you can find as much red as possible for sure, um, especially around our end zone. There'll, there'll yeah. be a lot of red. So uh, the crazy thing is that when you go out there for warm-ups, there's usually uh, not so many people. And then by the time you come out there for uh, the game, the, the stadium is packed. So it's definitely interesting. And then no matter what happens, somebody's cheering. So it's not like it's not like like when you guys go on the road and you do well, you make it quiet. Yeah, you can never make it quiet here. That's true. That is that is very true. But I do think that there are ways that you can control the game on yeah. both sides. I think yeah. that um, ultimately, if, if you're doing well, I think the other fan base uh, is, is controlled a bit. But at the same time, though, I think with that 50 50 split, it does kind of, I guess, uh, minimize the, the maximum capacity of each mm-hmm. side. So for you guys, you've had different kind of games you've had games where you started a little slowly offensively kentucky you guys came out guns blazing can you tell the week of practice if it's going to be like that or is that just something that that happens within the flow of the game it kind of happens in the flow of the game because there have been some weeks where i feel like we've had really great um weeks of practice and we maybe didn't start the way that we wanted to so it just kind of depends i think the biggest thing is it's not getting caught up in it it's finding ways to win and that's the bottom line. It may not always be pretty. It may not uh, be ideal. But the the best thing about it is, is if you can find a way to win, um, it leaves you somewhere to grow, somewhere to look forward to improving the next week of practice. So we all saw that video from the South Carolina game at halftime. And I think everybody was surprised that there's nobody was yelling at each other. Nobody's screaming. Everybody seemed very calm. Is that how it always is for you guys? That's tough because I think it's it's scenario based. Depends on the situation. Yeah, it, yeah. it depends on the situation. Um, there are some times where where you have to light a spark and you have to make sure that everybody gets going. And I think that's 
usually when maybe um, the morale is a bit down, mm-hmm. that's when you kind of have to do that. But I think in South Carolina's game, I don't think our morale was down. I think we definitely didn't play the way that we wanted to. But I think the guys were in good spirits to understand that if we went out and did what we had to, we would be able to win the game. Yeah, Carson was winking at the camera. I mean, yeah. is, that, is that Carson? He was actually that, winking at me. Was he? Okay. Yeah, he was winking at me, but um, I guess the camera was right well, what, there. What was the message there? That, hey, we got this? Or? I, I forgot what happened. I think Coach Bobo said something that maybe was directed towards him, and he kind of looked over to me ah. and winked. And it was just that kind of thing. It was good, though. It was good that he was able to do that just because it kind of brought a, a sense of relief to the rest of the guys that were around. Kind of like, okay, we're good. How do you guys develop that bond? Because you snapped to Stetson for, for a couple of years, and now now you snap into Carson. How does that work with the the quarterbacks? And it's like, is there a dinner that, that comes before? <laughs> like when he gets named, started like, all right, here's how it's going to work. No, no, sir. I think it's, it's meticulous in the way that Coach Smart runs his program. So I think that um, – there is a certain level that he runs his program to help guys to cultivate relationships and connections. So a lot of people don't know when we moved into our new facility, Carson's locker is right across from mine. And it's been that way for the past two and a half, three years, considering that this is a guy that I came in with this. He's in the same class as me. Um, We, we kind of came in together. He gave my first haircut for my first day with my girlfriend. What? Uh, Yeah. First, you trusted him for that? Yes, I did. I did trust Carson. Carson's wow. actually a great barber. He he does a tremendous job with uh with, with cutting hair. But who knew? Yeah. So that that's always been my guy. Um, we may not have played together, but that was definitely a person that I was talking to every day. Well, I mean, shoot. If if I'd have known the trust levels, I would have never even gone down this line of questioning. Good lord, you put a, put your hair in another man's hands. That's first date too. Really? Yeah. Yes, sir. Oh, and date went okay and everything. The date went perfect. We're still together to this day, so I guess I guess he works some magic for me. Man, this is this is incredible. <laughs> I didn't know he had this level of of alternate talent, but, but besides throwing the ball, so this is this is speaking of alternate talents. By the way, when we had you at SEC Media Days, we talked about your days as a as a Pee Wee quarterback, and <laughs> we were trying to figure out a trick play where you know how do you snap the ball and then they get it back to you so you can throw a forward pass, but. You have actually carried the ball since then. Yes, sir. You got a carry against Vanderbilt, picking up a fumble. You broke a tackle. You converted. Yeah, I did. Take us through the play, please. So um, it's kind of tough just because I think that there was some type of – something went wrong in that center quarterback exchange, and I'll take the blame for that. It was on me. Um, something went wrong. It was just out of the usual um, – just rhythm of mm-hmm. what happened. It was just odd. Um, and I realized what had happened. And the only thing I was thinking about is that it's I, maybe it was third and four or five, some, something like that. Yeah. And I knew that we were down and like we had to get this third down. So my biggest thing was just trying to find the ball and go. It was, it was less thinking. It was just, I messed up. I got to figure out a way to make this right for the team yeah. because I don't want to be responsible for letting the team down. So do you so, look down and you see it at your feet or? I, I remember I was just looking for it and, for whatever reason, it was like it was like golden or something. And I just <laughs> I picked like a golden I snitch in Harry Potter. Like, yeah, it, boom. Was, it was like lighting up at me. So I just tried to grab it and get as much as I could. And thank the Lord it ended up working out. Now, because I've always wondered this, like I know the backs and the receivers are, are aware of where they are on the field, aware of where the first down marker is. As you are carrying that ball, who are not used to carrying the ball, yes, sir. were you aware of where the down marker was? Uh, I think a little bit. The biggest thing for for myself was is that I think that I had to try and get over the ball of the lineman first. Um, so the ball was a little bit loose at first, and then after that, it was trying to figure out how far I was 
And then after that, I started to try to tuck the ball or something just so that the play didn't go disastrous. <laughs> you know, after that, it was it was kind of get the first down, and then after that, just protect it. So ball security is job security. Very nice. Yes, sir. But now that you've done it, I would imagine you probably don't want to carry the ball at all against Florida. Just good, clean yeah, snaps. Yeah, no, I, I don't want to carry the ball against Florida. <laughs> Um, uh, maybe my last game, um, let the Lord say the same. Maybe, maybe we'll be up in that game or something and maybe I can do something, but, uh, I, I have no desire to, to, to want to do anything. Got it out of your system said, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, sir. That was awesome. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Thank you to Cedric Van Pran trusting the quarterback with the haircut on the night of the first date. That is, that tells you those two have a very, very tight relationship. That's a lot of trust there. A lot of trust. Guy who I trust to tell me everything I need to know about the Florida Gators is Nick Delatore. He joins us now to talk about the Florida side of this rivalry. We welcome Nick Delatore of Gators Online, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party happening in Jacksonville this weekend. This is a potential season maker for the Gators, Nick. They're coming off a bye week. They had what appears to be an offensive renaissance against South Carolina. <laughs> we'll get to the defense later. But how are how are the Gators coaches and players feeling heading into this one? Yeah, I think uh, there's always going to be confidence, whether there's uh, stats or, or real things to back it up. But no football team goes into uh, a Saturday thinking they're going to lose. I think Georgia not having Brock Bowers is significant. Now, listen, Brock Bowers doesn't play defense. Uh, and Florida's going to still have to figure out how to move the football and score points. Um, but there's definitely confidence uh, with Florida. I think the bye week came at a great time just in terms of getting guys healthy. Um and then certainly, listen, Florida didn't just start looking at Georgia film. <laughs> this is stuff you watch in the summer, in the fall, uh, during fall camp. So Florida's been getting ready for this game uh, probably for 364 days. Kirby Smart said something interesting in his press conference on Monday. He said he feels like Florida's played its best football in the last two games. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's interesting because you look at, at what Florida did, especially offensively against South Carolina – it feels like they've discovered some new things or kind of just like, I'll give you an example. Trey Wilson, freshman receiver, got hurt against Tennessee. Clearly was a big part of that game plan, but got hurt, missed a little bit more time. It feels like he's kind of back in the flow of the offense now and becomes a more legitimate weapon. Georgia has had some struggles uh, setting the edge. And listen, whenever you talk about Georgia having struggles, it's in the prism of Georgia has won uh, you know, 30 something straight SEC games hasn't lost a regular season game since 2020. So it's a different prism than a lot of other teams right. are looking at. Str struggle is we're using air quotes, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they've had some trouble setting the edge. And when I look at that, I think, well, Trey Wilson's run an actual ultra marathon in pre-snap motion. He's a guy who, <laughs> when Kirby smart was asked about Graham Mertz, 
made a point to talk about Trey Wilson because he's oh, yeah. a guy who gets skinny, misses tackles. They will run the ball with him. They'll put him in the backfield and run counters with him. Um, and, and the biggest thing for Trey is Florida doesn't have a ton of playmakers. You've got two good running backs, Ricky Pearsall, and that was it. And, and teams could then just focus on stopping the run and, and take Ricky out of the game. Now with Arliss Boardingham um, mm-hmm. coming into his own and him emerging and Trey Wilson being back and healthy, Florida has other options. So that helps create for Ricky Pearsall. You go back to 2020, Andy, when Kyle Pitts was knocked out of the Georgia game, Kadarius Tony didn't look like Kadarius Tony those yeah. next couple of games because you were able to focus on him if you're a defensive coordinator. So it's not just Eugene Wilson or just Ricky Pearsall. I think it's the totality of those three players that really gives Florida an advantage offensively. We'll get right back into the midst of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. But first, I want to talk about some gear you can wear to any outdoor cocktail party. And that's Roback, made for performance, made for this time of year. The performance hoodie is the best fall garment. It's really the best spring garment, too. Depending on how, how breezy it is, the best summer garment. It is absolutely the most comfortable thing I own. And now I own five different colors and I'm, I'm hoping to just complete the set, but Roback makes performance Q-zips, hoodies, polos, shorts, joggers, and now the performance crew, which is also great for the fall. And you want to look a little more polished, but you also want to have some cocktails. R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. Use the promo code staples and you get 20% off your first order. So that's Roback.com. Use the promo code STAPLES, 20% off your first order. That's what it was interesting because somebody had asked Kirby a question about Ricky Pearsall and, and why he's been so good. And I, at first I thought Kirby was throwing shade because he's like availability. He's been healthy. He's been playing the whole time. But what he was saying is they haven't been at full strength they are more dangerous at full strength and he's legitimately worried about that, which I, you know, and the other piece of this is Graham Mertz. They turned him loose against South Carolina. It feels like they kind of had to because Florida's Mm -hmm. defense was not stopping South Carolina's offense, but did they also discover something in the process? I think potentially, and he probably goes to having those three guys healthy and involved. Um, But I think you and I were talking last week and, it might be how Florida has to play to win games. When you look at Arkansas and Florida state at LSU, good luck in that track marathon or that track meet. Um, I think you did discover something. Listen, I didn't think a big question. If I was a highly paid defensive coordinator, uh, not trying to get fired to collect my buyout, I would have gone into a game against Florida saying, if Graham Mertz beats us with his arm, that's fine. But we're going to stop the running game. We're going to limit Ricky Pearsall. And if Graham Mertz wins a game on his arm, we can live with that. But now he's showing you that he can. Florida's down 10 on the road at South Carolina, and, and he leads to scoring drives. So Graham Mertz has now shown, put on film, I can lead a team with my arm. Um, so, yeah, I think Florida has discovered something. Do I think that they're the LSU offense? No. Yeah. Let's flip it around. Florida's defense against this Georgia offense minus Brock Bowers. Now, the question I think probably is what is Georgia's offense minus Brock Bowers? Do they do they play the freshman loss and lucky more and just make Oscar Delp the number one tight end so it looks somewhat similar with a lot of 12 personnel? Or 
do they say we're going to go with Delp because he's older and just have another receiver on the field, which you know, they got some pretty good receivers too. You mean they've recruited well in Athens? Uh, they portaled and recruited well. Okay. I'd, I'd say Lad McConkey is a, a great yeah. recruiting victory, and uh, Ra Ra Thomas and Dominic Lovick are, are, are great portal victories. Yeah, this, I mean, it seems like every week we're going to have uh, Austin Armstrong's biggest test when you start looking uh, <laughs> yeah. at, at the rest of the schedule. Um, but it, it's it's kind of a great unknown. What is Georgia without Brock Bowers? It's going to affect their running game. It's going to affect their passing game. Uh, Carson Beck had a nice, warm, uh, heavy safety blanket Yeah, uh, to, to wrap himself up in at night. Um, so that's gone. Who, who is your outlet guy now? Who's your go-to guy now? So there's gonna be a ton of questions. I listen, Florida's not gonna, Florida doesn't wish Brock Bowers was playing this game, but now I think there's more unknowns of, okay, well, how is Georgia going to attack us? So Austin Armstrong is probably sitting here having the same discussion that we are, Andy, like, Hey, what do they do? Who do we right. need to be ready for now? Yeah, that's the tricky part. Is it is it just more Dominic Lovett and Ra Ra Thomas and McConkey had been hurt, so he's just now getting back into the flow of things too. So, yeah, I can I can imagine Georgia, you know, running those guys on drag routes, trying to make Florida chase, trying to make Florida tackle because that has been an issue for Florida of late. Uh, they tackle really well at home. <laughs> really well this at is, home. This is only half home. This is <laughs> yeah, seventy yeah. miles away, but it's half Georgia fans in the crowd. So yeah, so they'll they'll have a a half bad tackling game, a half good yeah. tackling game, depending on uh what, how you want to view the glass. But that that is going to be a thing. Like I think for Florida to win this game, for Florida to be competitive in this game, they're going to have to play near perfect. You're, you you mm-hmm. can't have penalties. You can't turn the ball over. If you've got on third down a tackle. Behind the sticks, you can't miss that and let Georgia get a first down. You have to play a sound game of football. And then uh, something Florida hasn't really been good at, you're going to probably have to create turnovers. Yeah. You might have to have a game-changing play from your game changers. So there's so many facets of this game that Florida has to play their A-plus game at to have a chance. Uh, and they haven't really played their A-plus game away from Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. Yeah, and that's, that's the interesting thing because – this Georgia team doesn't feel like the last two. Like the last two, no. Florida goes into that game. It, there's no shot. This one, it, like if they get the Georgia that played Auburn, there's a chance. And mm. I think that that feels like the biggest difference this year. It, it's interesting because Florida fans uh, and our message board have been pointing at, well, they were losing to South Carolina. Uh, Vanderbilt scored 20. Look at the Auburn game. And, and I can – Talk away South Carolina and Vanderbilt by saying, listen, Georgia just is like, hey, roll the ball out where Georgia will win. But then Auburn game, that's the the South's oldest rivalry. Like that's yeah. a rivalry game just like Florida Georgia is. So I always say there's so many Georgia, ex-Georgia players on that coaching staff. This game is intensely personal for yes. many on that staff, probably a uh, former Florida head coach. I was going to say, there's a fired former head, Florida head yeah. coach who was a Georgia player. Yeah. So. And, and a lot of those guys did not have success as players against Florida. So yeah. they revel in beating Florida even more now. And I don't know that, you know, Florida has that on their coach staff or that you necessarily need that to be a great well, they, coach. They brought it in. They brought in a guy who, as a player, had very little success against Georgia. And then he became the coach. He had a lot of success against Georgia. They brought in Steve Spurrier to kind of educate the guys on the rivalry, which – yeah. There's probably not a better person for that. 
Yeah, yeah. I think uh, he probably told them, ah, well, guys, you know, we hung half a hundred up there in, Ath- in Athens. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's intensely personal. So I told Florida fans, like, hey, if you think you're going to get sleepy Georgia at 3.30 that you saw against South Carolina, that I got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. Like, yeah. that's not going to be the Georgia that you're going to get. Georgia will be ready for any time uh, Florida is on the other sideline. Yeah, and that's that's the part I, I'm curious about because – if they get the full strength version of, of yeah. Georgia, the version that played against Kentucky, that's a bad sign for Florida. But the how Florida performs in this game, you know, again, we've talked, you know, I've talked about this a bunch. I went on your podcast, Dave and Gail, last week, and we were talking about Florida's young players and and what they're doing in terms of volume, how many of them are playing, how big of an impact they're making. It does feel like they're trending in the right direction yeah. on that front. But it's the difference between rebuilding, uh, mm-hmm. which you took it down to the, the concrete foundation versus reloading. Um, right. So, yes. Well, I don't think, yeah. Well, I don't think Florida is ready to beat Georgia this year. I'm super encouraged by Eugene Wilson, Jordan Castell, TJ Searcy, uh, Kelby Collins, uh, Eugene Wilson. Like there's a long list of freshmen and, for Florida, looking at 2024, you're bringing all these guys back. This is going to be the first taste for those guys, uh, those freshmen, redshirt freshmen, who will be a huge part of your team next year. Their mm-hmm. first taste of Florida, Georgia. Hey, this is what this rivalry feels like. And and it's going to be – it's not different, you know, like a Tennessee rivalry. You're going back and forth, home and home. This is going to be the exact same environment you'll have next year as well. So this is a huge um, grow-up moment and learning moment for those Florida freshmen who – are being asked to do a lot right now, but will be asked to do even more in the following season. Yeah, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about LJ McCray and what his commitment means. He's Daytona Beach Mainland High School, uh, committed to Florida over the weekend. Top 100 player, you know, one of the best defensive linemen in the recruiting class. Mm-hmm. How big is that? Uh, on on which front one it's huge because he's 6'6 275 an edge player a guy who florida is already playing two freshman defensive linemen this year there's no problem billy napier and his staff have no problem playing guys young and i think lg mccray is a guy who can come in and play as a freshman at that size do you stay on the edge where they're recruiting him right now does he develop into you know a three technique uh who cares as long as as he's in orange and blue um but the bigger thing to me, even more so than him as a player, is you beat Georgia, you beat Florida yes. State. And if you're rebuilding and you want to be where Georgia is, where the school out west is, ranked number four right now, these are the teams you have to beat and the players you have to beat those teams for. Yeah, and that's what, like you look at Florida's defense now. Who did they beat Georgia for? Who plays for them now? Shamar James, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Kelby Collins, I believe, was was – one that Georgia wanted, but it's not a long list mm-hmm. and you have to increase that list. It's the same reason like Georgia got good because they beat out Alabama and Clemson yeah. for players. And this is the difference I think between Florida now and Florida under Dan Mullen was they are winning some of those, but the problem is those don't pay immediate dividends that that has to, right. has to marinate for a little while. Yeah. You'd have to take Mike Norvell's uh, portal strategy uh, to mm-hmm. have those immediate dividends. But like I, I look at Florida in the portal and fans didn't like, I think more specifically the spring portal, but Ricky Purcell was in the portal. Um, you're starting right tackle. You're starting right, right guard. You're quarterback. You're starting running back. 
you've got two linebackers from the portal. Like Florida has had success in the portal. Um, maybe just not uh, a, a Keon Coleman type. Right. Of they system. haven't gotten a Keon Coleman or a Jared verse. And that's, that's right. kind of the next step. And it, and it is, a, it's interesting. And, and we can definitely talk about that as, as they go forward, because they do need to make a big splash or two from the portal yeah. to add to the people they're bringing in from high school. Well, when you look at the recruiting class, Florida needs offensive line help. Um, there's not a great offensive tackle market in the portal. When those big no. five stars who end up being first round picks get to a school, they typically just stay there for three Very years. Very loyal. Then... It's hard to make the big men move. Like they, they, don't, they don't like packing up their stuff. <laughs> That's a lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's a double XL t-shirt. Those take up a lot of room in a yeah. suitcase. And they don't want to keep moving those. Yep, exactly. So, well, I, I, I'm fascinated to see where this goes from here. But I'm fascinated in, in this game because, again, Florida seems to be getting a little bit better, mm -hmm. and we just don't know what version of Georgia shows up from week to week. So we'll see you in Jacksonville, Nick. See you at the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. That's right. Thank you to Nick Delatore. Florida, Georgia. Feels like it could be a little more competitive than it has been the last two years, but we shall see. It, it, it all depends on which Georgia shows up. If the Georgia that played Kentucky shows up, that game might not be very competitive. But if we see the Georgia we've seen that most of this season, or if they struggle to, to adapt to not having Brock Bowers, that game could be very, very interesting. But nothing right now in college football is more interesting than the Michigan situation. The sign-stealing accusations, the low-level staffer who is now suspended, named Connor Stallions, what a name, who allegedly bought tickets to 30 games involving Big Ten teams that were opponents of Michigan over three seasons at 11 different Big Ten venues. This thing's nuts, and it just keeps getting bigger. Ralph Russo from the Associated Press, one of the smartest people I know, joins now, and we are going to take a deep dive into all the facets of this case, what's happening now, and what could happen in the future. Here's Ralph. Joined by Ralph Russo, the Associated Press. It's a home and home. You can hear me on Ralph's podcast as well. We had a very interesting discussion about what constitutes success and how, basically how you need to feel about James Franklin if you're a, a Penn State fan. It was a, it was a great discussion, but Ralph, we got to go elsewhere in the Big Ten because we got a classic code breaker scenario. This is... This Michigan thing is getting wild. So as we record this on Tuesday, early afternoon, we have seen uh, somebody screenshotting Connor Stallion's Venmo. We have seen video from a Columbus TV station of the first drive of the, the Ohio State-Michigan game last year where C.J. Stroud stops pre-play looks to the side, the whole Ohio State offense looks to the sideline for a signal. And the camera can show beyond C.J. Stroud and you see the Michigan sideline. And you see Connor Stallions walk up to Jesse Minter, look at the signal that Ohio State is giving across the field, and then all of a sudden, everybody's hands go up on the Michigan sideline. Pass. Yeah. Pass. So, Right. At the it, very least, it was passed. Right? right, right. Exactly. And they did they they put up a poster board too that, that may have obviously sent a, a different signal. But it is amazing how sophisticated this was. 
And the Michigan folks are going to say that Connor Stallions went rogue, that that all of the tickets purchased were his and his doing alone. He had his buddies going, and then he was presenting himself as this master code cracker, but he was doing it because remember, you can steal signs as long as you're just watching the other team or it's something you get from the TV copy. That's legal. What's not legal is sending somebody to the game to videotape a sideline, which there may be video of someone doing that. So this is a wild situation, Ralph. It's, it's one of those only in college football ones. It really is. I, I feel like Michigan uh, in particular has been involved in just like the weirdest scandals over the yes. last over the last year or so, right? I mean, Michigan football, they've had some serious stuff on their campus, but this is like for, for this, it seems like one stupid scandal after another, right? Like, why are your, I keep, I keep posting the meme of like the, why can't you just be normal meme about Michigan football? Like, that's where I feel we are with Michigan these days. Um, I, the sophistication of the operation is interesting to me. I, I will go back to this. the Because we talked about how, which a lot of offenses do these days, that clip that you showed me that we shared on, uh, that was shared on Twitter is what you see is very common with offenses nowadays. And it's become very common with offenses over the last five or six years. It's called a check with me. Yeah. You rush, you're playing tempo. You rush to the line. And but then you stop and you look to the sidelines. The funny thing about being able to steal signs defensively in that situation is Pat Narduzzi, the pit coach, who, of course, likes is not shy. Right. Pat is not shy. He was the first coach who told me, you know, the reason why they rush to the line and then pause. Well, I'm, they're trying to get your look. He's right. Like, they no, want to no. see what you're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. But he's no, no. They're trying to get our signals. That's what they're doing. They're pausing to see our signals. Mm -hmm. So they, it's one thing to show a look. It's another thing. So the, I find it funny now that now the, the tables were turned because he was the first coach. I realized said, oh, yeah, of course. Right. The offense is trying to do the signal stealing. So, of course, the, the defense flips it around and now it has an opportunity to do signal stealing. You know, Andy. I, this is intriguing. I know what Michigan's going to do. Again, they're going to sort of they're they're going to basically say, okay, prove it, right? Prove right. that we know that we knew more than just this guy. Prove that we knew, not that we were stealing signs, but that he was sending people to games. Right. That's Which I be, think if they've got what the Pete Thamel story said, they're going to prove that. Well, they. Prove that he was sending people to games, but again, the, the thing that Michigan's going to stand on is Harbaugh didn't know, Minter didn't know that it was this person doing these things away from. Yeah, and like four years ago, that would have been enough. Right. But unfortunately, in today's version of NCAA land, the head coach is responsible for everything that happens in the program. So they're going to stick him with it anyway. So this is this is the part, the mental gymnastics going on among the Michigan people. Yeah. saying that Harbaugh didn't know doesn't matter. Like that's a good point. NCAA does not matter. And right. here, let, let let's draw, let's pull this back a little bit because, like, the people who listen to your show, the people who listen to my show, they all understand why this is a big deal, why this is going on, what's what's happening. 
it's amazing to me because this story has uh, has reached exit velocity and has moved out into the, like your get ups and and those type shows. They don't know how to talk about it because they can't wrap their brains around why it's even illegal. True, right? Because well, listen, I mean, sign stealing. This is similar to the way the what the Patriots did. Right, right. You're doing something that is that according to your governing body is across the line. Like what the Patriots were doing was videotaping in a way that the NFL forbids. And right. but that, with the Patriots in that situation, though, the Patriots, if I remember correctly, not being an NFL guy, I may get the details a little a little jumped. They're videotaping walkthroughs and stuff. Right, they, but they also, but no, the second half of Spygate, that mm. sort of like you were talking talk about some of the stuff that they were accused of in the early version of right. it. There was another version where you're allowed to advance scout in the NFL, correct? But you can't have your advanced scout record the sidelines, and your advanced scout has to be able has to be in certain places. And you can't record teams in your own stadium. So that's what they were doing. They were doing some things with recording and advanced scouting and recording that right. was over the line for the NFL. Again, ultimately, the problem here is I can't emphasize this enough just for people who are trying to follow along. It's the advanced scouting and the electronic equipment. That's the right. places where the rules are broken. Yeah, and, and, and we'll go back even further. This was banned in 1994. You used to be able to advance scout in college football. Mm -hmm. And in 1994, there are no smartphones. Like you'd have to have a camcorder with you. Nobody would be bringing a camcorder, like a shoulder mounted camcorder in the stadium. So when this rule was made, oh, none of this stuff exists. The technology didn't even exist to do this. And basically because the attitude in college sports is always, it's never, if you can't afford to do it, just don't do it. It's always if Akron can't do it, then Alabama can't do it. Like, and that's trying to what, level the playing field, right? That, which is trying to level what can be imbalances, competitive balances that are afforded to teams by simply being wealthier, right? Which never works and actually made it less competitive. But that's neither here nor there. That's why it's against the rules. And so, if they have video of someone sitting in a seat purchased by Connor Stallions, recording another sideline. That will be enough. They will punish Michigan and Jim Harbaugh based on that. I'm just, I'm just, I'm not saying this is what I want to happen. I'm not saying this is what should happen. I'm saying this is what will happen because this is not a court of law. You do not have to drag that person and get them to admit what they were doing. Mm -hmm. It's preponderance of the evidence. They clearly want to get Jim Harbaugh. They're going to get Jim Harbaugh on this. If they have video of that, even at one stadium, they're going to get them on this. So, and again, this is just to balance out because I, I don't, I don't disagree with you. Um, what Michigan, I think, is going to try to do because they're actively part of this investigation, right? This mm -hmm. is this is Michigan saying, "Hey, we're cooperating here. We we want to get to the bottom of this too." That's the way Michigan's going to stand. Again, we, we're, we're not, I'm not trying to think I'm naive here, but yeah. I'm just presenting Michigan's side here. We are going to be actively a part of this investigation. What Michigan is going to try to do is they're going to try to find that video, whether it's on Connor Stallion's work computer, if they can get into yeah. it, if they can, if they can get his home computer. Connor's smart. He wiped that before anybody asked about it. 
you would like to think, but he also bought all the tickets in his own name. So eh, you never know, right? I mean, who, who am I to say? This guy went to the right. Naval Academy. Clearly, he's smarter than me because I couldn't have been able to do it. I'm not calling him dumb. I'm just saying, like, he's got some – there's some judgment issues here, right? Right. So – but what I'm saying is, like, if – the other thing that I think Michigan's going to lean into is – cooperation, right? Because that's the whole thing with the NCAA, right? Like we want your cooperation. You've got to be part of this. And Michigan's going to say, hey, we'll get the video for you. Oh my gosh, look at, I can't believe this. This is shocking. Look at how this happened under our, in our building. This is appalling. You must punish this person. Oh, in fact, we'll punish him. Don't worry about it. We'll punish him. So, and you know what they're going to say about that? That's the interesting. The head coach is still on the hook for it. But that's the interesting gray area here, right? That we're going to get into like what the punishment is. But here's the big, here's the, forget $64,000. Here's the $64 million question. Mm -hmm. Can they do anything this year? That is it. That is the question. And the answer is no. I don't think so. I I don't think so. It would be completely antithetical to anything that happens with NCAA enforcement. Yes. And, Remember the last time they went outside their usual process to punish somebody in a, in a timely fashion. It was Penn State after the Sandusky thing. They went, they got sued and they had to walk it back. If I am Michigan and they try to do anything to me right now, I lawyer the hell up and I say, we will sue you into oblivion. And, and if I'm Michigan, I just play this season out, put my head down try to win the national title. And if I win the national title and they come back and try to strip it from me, I lawyer the hell up then too. And who cares if they strip it? I mean, I mean, I mean, right, we listen, all know I know, want it. Well, I know like Michigan will basketball care. one. Yeah. And I know Michigan will care. And if I'm a Michigan, because there's a, there's a principle of the thing. Like, so if I'm a Notre Dame, if you remember a few years back had that situation with a tutor and right. they did all the cooperating and they had a bunch of wins stripped. And, you know, if you're Notre Dame, like, that mean that mean, kind of means something, right? I mean, you just yeah, nobody else on YouTube. Cares. We know who won. Yeah, no, nobody else cares, but internally you care because you want banners and things like that, and you want the record books to show certain things. But that's my point. Like, if you're not getting this thing adjudicated this year, we can talk about tarnishing the legacy. For, listen, that's already done. As far as Ohio State fans are concerned, it's already tarnished. You're not convincing them. But if it doesn't impact this year, 20 of those players are going to be in the NFL next year. Maybe Harbaugh will be in the NFL next year. Like, it's all symbolic, the the punishment, if it's not done this year. And I don't know if it could or even should be done next year because there's another point of it of like it's the quantification and again i understand they're not being punished for stealing signs but again but you have to do the competitive balance piece of right this. as you've rightly pointed out the difference with this is this this this, this moves the line this is this not moves, this, this moves is not the, the cheeseburger line. thing this is but very even, different but even that becomes hard to quantify mm-hmm. you deserve to forfeit a game because you stole signs i'm just saying like i don't know that seems a bit much when we know this stuff happens all the time well we we don't though 
We know sign stealing happens all the time. Well, that's what it's I'm a saying. Perfectly legal version of sign, sign stealing. stealing. Sign stealing happens all. The we time. don't know that that schools are sending people to videotape. No, I don't think other sidelines because there are certain stadiums, cough cough in the SEC, where if they see you holding a camera on a sideline for the entire game, somebody's going to come ask you some questions. Now, that could be to protect their broadcast partners, or it could be to, or what are you trying to pull here? But that is not something that happens all the time. That's the difference totally. here. Yeah. But ultimately, you still need to boil it down to what is the, can we quantify the competitive impact on yes this and, 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 that's and i do think different that's di yeah. that's just ambiguous i'm not again i'm not saying it has no impact if i know your plays yeah that's probably going to help me well, out also the the just change your signs you've never been in a football program that runs with a tempo offense if you if you believe you can just change your signs it's essentially like saying stop speaking english on sunday and be speaking spanish by saturday yeah, yeah. <laughs> with all you know, with all of your all twenty two of your players on the field. Yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah. I, I, again, there is a there is a bit of a everybody knows this is going on or is attempting to go on sign stealing, not the other stuff, but sign stealing. So most coaches are already have some mechanisms, right? Mm -hmm. They understand that hey, this team we see them a lot. They're probably on to something. Um, this other team maybe not. Listen, this is going to spawn a million, as it already has, online detectives and reporters uh, grabbing little shards the, the tip, of the tips that have come in on this thing are hilarious. If even one percent of them are true, it's unbelievable. Just, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, again, little 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 pieces of shrapnel of evidence all over the place. Again, I didn't know people could look at your Venmo account. That's an interesting you thing. Didn't know I that? just learned. You, you haven't set your Venmo to private. I don't I want mean, people to know who I'm paying for pizza. I assume that mine's. On, I don't use Venmo very much. I'm still it is an public. Old guy. If you didn't, if you didn't make it private, it's public. Yeah, I think I would have made it private, but I just I don't know if I would have got to go look at what Ralph's paying for. I mean, feel feel free. <laughs> I think there's like there's a couple of payments. Most of my transactions have to do with my fantasy baseball league. So you, all you'll find out is I'm good at fantasy baseball, right? <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. that's the, but that, that was an interesting little note that little little learning moment for me, a little lesson for me that, hey, go set your Venmo on private. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And and now you can explain that one away because it just says so for the circumstances, he is Venmoing a Michigan recruiting intern mm -hmm. and it just says GA and it's the day before the Peach Bowl. So the day before Ohio State and Georgia play in the Peach Bowl, which mm -hmm. had Michigan won the Fiesta Bowl, which they didn't, uh, they would have played one of those teams for the national title. Uh you could just say, "Hey, I, I, I was paying for something for a GA, for a graduate assistant. Easy, right. done, right. out of there." But the preponderance again, this is a preponderance of the evidence situation, and I, I don't know that any of it matters because, like you said, Jim Harbaugh could be off to the NFL. Now, there's another question about would this particular thing hurt him getting an NFL job? Because this is something they would actually care about, as opposed to cheeseburger gate which they won't care about at all 
I don't think they would care about this either. I mean, the NFL is a. They cared about it when it's Bill Belichick. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand that, but I, I'm sure of, Bill wasn't the one who set up the videos either. But but by the way, Bill didn't get fired. Yeah, Bill's still there. Bill's <laughs> still coaching. So, Bill, yeah. and nobody made them return those championship trophies. So I don't think. So. Listen, we we talk about this all the time with the Harbaugh situation in the NFL. It takes two to tango here. Harbaugh may already be in the NFL if the Vikings really wanted him to be their head coach. Right. right? Exactly. If if Miami didn't have that debacle with uh, with uh, Flores and right and everything and if that they went hadn't wrong hired there, a really good coach, Stephen Ross may have did. hired. Yeah. Right. I mean, it worked out okay for Miami, but Stephen Ross may have hired Harbaugh a couple of years ago. I, I, they're, like he may, somebody needs to want him to be their NFL coach. Now that might happen. I, I, I would be interested to see what San Diego has to say. I'd be interested to see what, what the Bears have to say. They have a you know previous yep. the franchise. Commanders are, are going to open. Them. So there's yeah. So there's, there's, there's I, I was assuming that stuff was going to happen again, and now. But still, he has to be wanted. And right. I, so the bigger issue becomes if he is not wanted, that's where the story has a longer tail. Well, right. If you're Michigan at that point, you got to decide what you want to do. And and my guess is be handle it the way North Carolina has handled some of this stuff yeah. and just go hard at the NCAA, which sounds like a very un-Michigan thing to do. But in this climate... I don't think that's a bad idea. I also think it may hasten whatever comes next. Because I I don't think it's a question of if. It's a question of when major college football is no longer governed by the NCAA. There is that. I mean, on a, no, that's, a bigger, it, that's a bigger issue. Um, I thought you were going to go to the idea that we're going to have this helmet communication. Oh, well, that, okay. That, well, we are. And, and that's... That's well, going to happen. Bowl because they, season, they were already right. had a pilot program in yeah. place to, to try it out this bowl season. Yeah. So they're going to be trying it. They're going to, people are going to decide, okay, we like it this way. We, we don't want to do this. I would bet by next year they have helmet communication. And this becomes less of an issue at that point. Oh, much less of an issue. The interesting part about that. I would actually, I would actually change the rule, Ralph. Mm -hmm. if, if I had helmet communication, I would say stealing signs and in, in how, whatever way you want to do it is not legal. Because if you're too stupid to use the helmet communication, yeah, that's your own fault. What's interesting about the way they're going to do it too with the player to coach communication is it not? It's, it's not necessarily going to be an NFL style. Mm -hmm. And we talk about trying to level the playing field. You have to have exactly what your brother's having, right? We, we right. each get four fish sticks, right? It's not going to be that. What they're going to basically because the 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 technology has become so pervasive and, and in some ways cheap. What they're going to tell teams is. You can do whatever you want. If mm -hmm. you want to use earpieces in every player, if you want a yeah. helmet, if you, you think the helmets are too expensive, like you do whatever you want, as long as you agree with, and this is for the bowl season, as long as both teams agree to right. do it, you can do it however you want. Now, I think what will end up coming about is the NCAA will lift the lid and say, okay, you can do whatever you want, figure it out what works best for you, or don't use it at all if you don't want it. Yeah. Exactly. But then I think what will happen is the conferences, especially the big conferences, they'll the, have their own standard. Yes. The Big Ten will come in and say, here's going to be our standard because we know you can all afford this. We know what the TV. Well, and, and, and you, I imagine that all the, the FBS conferences who do meet regularly 
as part of the, the CFP, probably will just agree on something. I would think, I mean, you can take some CFP money, frankly, if, if the Big Ten, yeah. you know, I know that gets, nobody likes their money touched, but listen, the, the CFP is going to be making enough so that if Sunbelt needs a little yeah. extra. This is not much. This is not a super expensive thing. This, But what, what people have told me is their bigger issue is getting the helmets certified, which you can solve that problem pretty easily too by going to the helmet manufacturers and saying, would you like to be used in major college football? Find a way that we can do this where it's certified. Somebody brought up an interesting point. Actually, it was, it was Steve Shaw, who is the uh, uh, coordinator of officials. Uh, you know, he had said an interesting point of, you know, in the NFL, which you don't really think about that much, there's actually a lot more substituting in college football mm -hmm. with, with packages. And, well, first of all, they have right. more players. Uh, and on the defensive side, especially, you're not really subbing your quarterback out much, but go talk to Kansas State about that. Right. Like, there was this talk about like, well, you're only allowed to have one or two helmets. And it, it like and this idea of like, well, do they have to start? Because like, they tried this in a game last year, I think, in the celebration bowl. And mm. the teams were, were like literally swapping helmets. Yeah, you don't want they that. only had two helmets that had the communication in it. Yeah, I, I would or think three helmets or something like in, that. In college football, you would want three different levels at the very minimum. You'd want. Yeah the line of scrimmage guys so like your center and maybe one defensive lineman uh and then your quarterback obviously and then a receiver who could then signal the other receivers and then defensively you know somebody on the line of scrimmage a linebacker and and somebody in the secondary you could do it like that you could put them in all of them i mean it's the the technology is not that expensive so I, I do I do wonder this, Andy, like and you played at a much higher level than I ever played. I only played high school ball and this stuff wasn't available then anyway. But I do no. think back to some of the coaches I've talked to. Is there too much communication? Like, do you have guys who are like, the last thing I want is all of is to talk to all of my players before? Well, no, yeah. You'd, you'd, like you'd want somebody telling the, the O line the protection. Yeah. And you'd want someone telling the receivers the routes and, and the quarterback, you just tell the whole play to. Yeah, like, and that's, that's about it. Like, yeah. Because you can imagine, like, I remember, like, you know, uh, rest in peace, Jolie Dunn. Um, when I covered Mississippi State, he uh, I just, this is I, this is only semi-related, but it's a funny story. So they were having a really, they were struggling uh, in, in a year where they weren't supposed to be struggling. And uh, Jolie, they had, um, like, Lucy and Richie. And all those calls were were left, left and, right. and right. Yeah. Right. Lucky and, and Ringo. Were, yeah. Yeah. So at a certain point, he was like, I, I at a certain point, I just changed it to left and right. I just <laughs> I, I said, this is ridiculous. Like they they were they, they were still they were even getting confused by Lucy and Richie. So I just started. <laughs> oh, they're players. It wasn't that the other teams knew it. Right. It was so their we, own I players. Them, I told them from now on, we're just going left and right, and they still screwed it up. So, you know, there's only so much we can do to help the guys on the field. Well, there's only so much we can do right now to discuss this Michigan case, but it is utterly fascinating, and I appreciate you coming on, Ralph, to help unpack it because there's so many different tentacles to it. Yeah. And yeah. I – like, I know the Michigan fans are like, why do you keep bothering us? Why do – Cause it's funny. Like at the at, at the core of it, it's hilarious. This is all happening. Like again, why can't you just be normal, Michigan? Yes. Michigan, why can't you just be normal?
Yeah, even if if, if none of the other coaches knew, like it's objectively funnier if what Michigan is arguing is true. It is. It is funnier. It is funnier. <laughs> like it's, and I'm not casting judgment here. Like I get it. I understand why you're going. Why is this even a rule? But it is. It affects the game. It affects the program going forward. Yeah. Clearly. So we're going to talk about it. <laughs> Ralph, thank you so much. Andy, thank you. And again, appreciate the home at home. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Go, go listen to Ralph's podcast. Very intriguing Penn State discussion. I, I could go three hours talking about this case. I really could. It is so interesting. And there's so many different weird little facets of it to dive into. But we got to talk about Texas. We've not talked about it yet on the show. We need to talk about the Texas quarterback situation. What happens with the Longhorns going forward? Quinn Ewers, AC joint sprain. He's going to be out for a little while. Malik Murphy, potentially the starter going forward. But Arch Manning is getting ready as well. He's getting some first-team reps, according to Steve Sarkeesian, in case they need him. No one knows Texas better than Bobby Burton of Inside Texas, and he joins us now to explain how the Longhorns move forward in a pretty tough part of the schedule with a backup quarter. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We welcome Bobby Burton from inside Texas. This is a strange time for Longhorns. Uh, Quinn Ewers out for a little while. Malik Murphy is the guy at the moment. Arch Manning taking the first team reps too in case they need him. How is the mood around Austin now that Quinn Ewers is out? Well, I think they're cautiously optimistic. I mean, Malik Murphy uh, had a great spring game, as most people know that follow college football and Texas Longhorn football in particular. Uh, he had a great spring game. Um, the, 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 the question that we have right now with Malik Murphy is not so much is he can he do it, Andy? It's what's what's going on behind the scenes. Murphy missed a practice last week mm. uh, for a non-disclosed illness, injury, something. Uh, Arch Manning's going to have to be ready as well. Uh, but uh, all in all, I, if you get past that, there's the idea that the, the his teammates really liked Malik Murphy. He came in against Houston, and he didn't look like the moment was too big for him. When he came in, it was 24-24 in the fourth quarter. Malik had a three and out, but then let him on the, the game-winning scoring drive. Mm -hmm. Longhorns win. He's well-liked by teammates. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see exactly how much of Steve Sarkeesian's offense gets dialed back and mm -hmm. fine-tuned with either Murphy or Arch Manning being the guy. So with, with Malik, he did have such a great spring game, and that was one where it felt like people were all over him that he had maybe some transfer portal opportunities to, to maybe go start somewhere else. And he stayed at Texas. What was it that, that kept him in the fold there? I think he liked Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, and I think he, you know, not a lot of people know this, but uh, 
Malik's entire throwing motion has been revamped in a year. Um, and Sark did that with him. Malik used to have this very long release. Um, and so the reason Malik signed with Sark in the first place is because he's a little bit of a QB whisperer, right? Um, and so he had some faith there. Uh, it wasn't that he was going to necessarily unseat Quinn Ewers this year, but uh, given what Sark has done at USC, at Washington, and then at Alabama, it seems to be if you wait in line and, and bide your time at quarterback uh, under Steve Sarkeesian, you're going to end up cashing a pretty big paycheck. Um, I would say the other thing is this. Um, he has been oft injured. Like he's had an ankle problem, a foot problem, and he never really got a ton of time uh, overall. Even even last spring, he missed a week of practice, Andy. Um, mm -hmm. So we'll we'll see how it goes. But uh, the, like I said, the players like him. Uh, I think that's clear. He's one of the guys. It, it'll be interesting to see where Steve Sarkeesian takes his team with with Malik Murphy at quarterback. Well, and, and so you mentioned this, and, and the. I see the kind of but and but and but and, and potential, you know, for injury, potential for, for him being out as well. So let's talk Arch Manning because that's obviously the guy that everybody followed his recruitment. He gets to Texas. Everybody was like, okay, when's he going to play? When's he going to play? It felt like the thought was to redshirt Arch, but it seems like this is a break glass in case of emergency situation. It is. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. You know, it's like, uh, and, and for Sark, it may be, you know, it may be that he's breaking the glass of the cigarette so he can, yeah. he can take a drag because he, he's going to be, uh, he's going to be that kind of uh, concerned uh, right now because the season kind of hangs in the balance. Texas is six and one, Andy. Uh, yeah. This is high cotton for Texas in the last decade where they have a real chance uh, at a big, big 12 chance, uh, title potential rematch with the Sooners. Um, uh, with Arch, it, it's very interesting. Three weeks ago, Sark just out of the middle of nowhere in the middle of a press conference said, oh, and by the way, Arch Manning had his best week of practice ever. <laughs> um, and that was, that was a little nod that, okay, this guy may be getting ready. Um, and behind the scenes, he's been taking reps with the ones and twos this entire off season or this entire season not just Malik Murphy. Malik Murphy is next in line, but I get a strong sense that we're going to see Arch Manning at some point during BYU and uh, maybe for the rest of the season, depending on Quinn Ewers and his injury. Well, and that's the thing, the AC joint sprain. I know the NFL fans learned a lot about that with Anthony Richardson, who has shut it down for the season. Um, I, talking to people who've had that injury, it is incredibly painful. And so do we really know how long Quinn Ewers is going to be out? No, Sark described him as week to week uh, from behind the scenes. What we're hearing, three to four weeks maybe. Um, uh, that's what they're hopeful for or what he's hope Quinn and himself uh, and his family are hopeful for. Um, but we don't know. I mean, it could linger. Uh, it, it's it's a injury, to your point, that is nonspecific in its length of time for recovery. It's not a torn meniscus and he's out for two weeks, right? It's it's more uh, more questionable. Um, it's going to be a lot about pain tolerance and perhaps about how much Texas really needs him too. Um, we'll, we'll see if that comes into play. But you don't want to risk the golden arm, right? right. Uh, because this is a guy that has a, a lot of football ahead of him in his career, not just at Texas. 
Well, and, and when Texas lost to Oklahoma, I think the assumption from all of us on the outside was these two are going to finish out the Big 12, no, not going to lose another game. They're going to play each other again in the, in the Big 12 championship game. And I think now, after watching Oklahoma UCF last weekend, after watching Texas and Houston, it's a different story. And Texas in the more precarious situation because they have the loss and, and, and have more margin or less margin for error. How, how much concern is there with, with BYU coming in? Um, well, BYU is, BYU is interesting because they're five and two, but they've had some, they've had a bad loss at Kansas. Um, TCU. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like BYU is interesting because they have a better defense than they do offense and they turn people over and Texas is starting a, a rookie quarterback essentially. Right. Yeah. That's like tailor made for a defensive coordinator's dream. Okay. My, 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 I turned the Texas tech freshman quarterback over five times on Saturday. I'm going to do that to the Texas freshman quarterback this week. Um, that being said, it's not so much about BYU as it is the whole, I want to say this, and, and this is, uh, you know, you grew up, you went to Florida, you play big games, right? Like Florida, Georgia, Florida, Florida yep. State. Those take a lot out of, of teams, okay? Texas and OU came off this bye week. They took a bye week after their game, and that was a bloodletting of sorts, right? Texas did not play well in that game, and, you know, they 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 took it took a toll on them. OU, meanwhile, played well, and it took a toll on them. Those mid-year rivalry games, if you win or lose, sometimes you just need to get back up on the horse and play right away the next week to kind of get the cobwebs off. Waiting this week after that game may not have been what was best for either of those teams. They yeah. need to get going. And so I don't know if what you saw is necessarily indicative of the Texas team or the OU team that you'll see the rest of the year. They're better than what they played on Saturday, both of them. Well, I the the one that concerns me more than anything is not necessarily this weekend's BYU, but K-State next oh, yeah. week. Because okay. you look at the way K-State's played the last couple of weeks since they started sprinkling more, more Avery Johnson, they look dangerous. And because they're, one of their losses to, is to Missouri, they're still in the Big 12 title hunt. That That's where I would be very afraid and, and you and I have the benefit of not being on the Texas team. So we don't have to not think about them yet. We can think about them right now. And that, that looks like the scariest game left on the schedule for Texas. I, I don't disagree um, at all. Andy. I, in fact, that's what we've been talking about on inside Texas for uh, almost, you know, probably two weeks ago uh, whenever Texas first lost and they implemented Avery Johnson against Texas tech more, more frequently. Uh, K-State did, the quarter, young quarterback. Um, here's the issue with that. K-State focuses heavily on the run game, right? Mm -hmm. That's actually the Texas defensive strength, okay? That is the one thing that Texas can do is stop the run. I think they gave up 19 yards on the ground to Houston on Saturday, okay? Houston moved the ball exclusively through the air. Uh, Texas didn't give up much rushing yardage to Alabama. These are teams that run the ball to, to, you know, teams that run the ball don't necessarily run the ball well on Texas because uh, they have a pretty stout defensive front where Texas has been weak on defense. Andy is in the secondary, particularly at safety. 
Um, and so I, I, Texas in some ways uh, lines up well with Kansas State from that standpoint. I do think Avery Johnson gives them a different element that could push them to being becoming the best offense or overall team in the Big 12 at K-State. I am a little concerned about K-State's defense. I, I think they're improving, but I don't know that they're proven. Yeah. So, you know, it may be that game, first one to 30 wins. Well, and, and at that point, Malik will have had a start under his belt or if, or if Arch comes in and, and plays well, he'll, he'll have some seasoning. So I would imagine you, we'll have a better idea of what the Texas offense will look like. But, uh, you know, how, how is Steve Sarkeesian handled all this uh, uh, you know you mentioned that maybe cut closing down the offense a little bit for Malik how uh, he is the quarterback whisperer how has he handled you know getting these two guys ready so he, he it's interesting that's a great discussion Andy um what he said uh yesterday is that each and every week during season he asks his backup quarterbacks what plays they like that week and then he tracks it each and every week so that when he's now eight, they're going to be, this is the eighth game of the year. He's now had eight weeks of Arch and Malik telling them the three or four plays each week they like. And so he has a little bit of a reference book yeah, you know, or almanac to go back to and say, okay, you like this. Let's incorporate things off of this. Um, pretty bright. Uh, you know, uh, I would not say that he was, uh, in, in his Monday press conference, I wouldn't say he was down. I think he was forthright. Uh, Sark tends to be pretty even keel uh, and has been that way since he's been at Texas, even when they've been losing, right? Um, but uh, they they are doing fairly well right now. And I feel like he's got some confidence, but he needs he knows he needs to go out and play. They're going to have to – they'll have to win this game against BYU somehow – K-State will be an absolute test for them, in my opinion. I, I love that, having the menu of what the backup's like, because that that does seem to be one of the issues when a backup quarterback gets in the game is you're not entirely sure what he's good at, what he prefers. So at least you can, you can have a base menu of plays no matter who is in there, whether it's Malik or, or Arch. I, I agree. That, that, that's when, when he started talking about that at Monday's presser, a little light bulb went off in my head. Yeah. You know, you've, you've been around football a long time. It's rare that you get a peek into the true madness behind the, the whole thing. And, and I felt like that was very revelatory. Uh, it, it's interesting that they think that far ahead uh, in, in case of, you know, break in case of emergency, right? Like you just talked yep. about. Uh, I felt like that was pretty smart. Um, there is no doubt that they're going to have to lean heavily on the run game uh, for the next several weeks while Quinn's out. They've been buoyed by uh, not only Jonathan Brooks, Andy. Uh, he's had a, a tremendous year, fell one yard short of 100 yards again this past week, went 20 for 99. Um, but I tell you what, a young running back out of Florida, out of Orlando, Cedric Baxter, for the first time all year, he looked healthy and he looked legit, like big time legit against Houston. Uh, he hit the game winning touchdown from about 16 yards out. Uh, and he, when he hit the hole, he exploded through it uh, like a rare guy. I'll just put it that way. He looked like, a okay, this guy's going to be a dude. 
Um, and so I, I think Texas will, will lean on that, those two running backs. I think Sark does something that's a little uh, uh, different than most people. He runs a lot of six offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. He actually puts an offensive guard at tight end. Right. Times in what they call a big 11 per- personnel package, which is one tight end. That's the big guy and f- one running back. Yeah. Okay? And then four wides. And by doing that, he presents the uh, defense a real question mark. If I put more in the box, then all of a sudden Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell may be man up outside. Yeah. And he's right. he's done some nice things. That That is one of the things I think they will try to do, not only against BYU, Andy, but K-State, mm-hmm. Iowa State, et cetera. Well, and that's what a great incentive to go play offensive line for him because you may get that uh... – you may get that eligible number thrown on you and, and, and get to do some things. So that's a, that's a good, that's a recruiting tool too, Bobby. He's, he's just, to, he's yet to catch a pass, but we'll see. <laughs> well, Bobby, I appreciate it. Going to be fun to watch this weekend. Yeah. I, I, I'm, op- I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, the Longhorns uh, in, in BYU give us a, a good game. Uh, Keaton Slovis, you know, this, these guys that have been to so many different programs have seen so many different things. They, they've got a little head on their shoulders. It's a little bit different than everybody else. I mean, Keen Slovis, JT Daniels, those guys. I mean, it's, it's different. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They played together at one time, and now they've been to like 94 different schools. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Bobby. All right, buddy. Thank you to Bobby Burton. Texas is going to be really interesting to watch these next few weeks because we don't know how that offense is going to look. And I, I thought that was great. The stuff about Sarkeesian and what he does with the backup quarterbacks. If, if that works, if, if you see kind of a seamless transition into Malik Murphy, that's a good, it's good advice for the young coaches out there. Take what Steve Sarkeesian does and import it to your program because he's trying to make sure that he's ready when he's got to put a backup in the game. And it's, it's one of the tougher situations in sports when you've got a guy that is coming in, and he hasn't been training to be the guy. And now all of a sudden he's thrust into this very high pressure, high profile position. So we will see what happens with Texas, but great show. So much fun. Thanks to all our guests tomorrow. Wednesday is the new night for dear Andy. We will answer your questions. They become the star. Find me on social media. Andy underscore staples on X formerly known as Twitter or on Instagram or you can email your question to andystapleson3 at gmail.com. It's a lot more fun when you do the question on video because then you get to be marginally internet famous as well when we answer your question. But you know how much I love your questions because you are the smartest, best-looking viewers slash listeners in the universe. And I love the way you think about college football and how much you love college football. So bring those questions, and we'll do our best to answer them tomorrow night. Talk to you soon.